I'm Vanessa Cirillo, and this is Valley Voices Radio from New England Public Media, sharing the best stories from our Story Slam events, produced with the Academy of Music Theater, where your friends and neighbors divulge true, personal, sometimes embarrassing stories in front of a live audience. Today's show comes from our first event in what felt like forever at Hawks and Reed in Greenfield, Massachusetts. At the time, we were experiencing what we can safely call the COVID lull. So I think our show producers, the storytellers, the audience, we all felt like it was now or never. And that's the theme for this episode. Valerie Reese kicks things off, remembering how a cancer diagnosis taught her how to take a dose of her own medicine and someone else's. I was 31 years old, and I was a yoga person who was insufferably into wellness. (laughs) I believed in the healing power of wheatgrass, despite its awful taste. And I walked around New York City with my yoga mat slung over my shoulder like a wayward archer. I mean, I even was an editor at a yoga magazine. The fall of that year, though, I started to feel kind of lousy. And at first, I was just kind of low energy, and I thought, well, maybe it's just stress. I'm just going to do some more yoga. And then I was like, I had a cough. I started coughing, and I thought, oh, maybe I just have some fourth chakra congestion happening. Um, So I took some cherry tree bark. Then I started to get so nauseous that when I was walking down the street, I would do these like little lady pukes into the trash cans. And so I just started sipping some ginger tea Um, because there was no way I was going to go to a medical doctor. I mean, what were they going to do? Give me a useless prescription for antibiotics that was just going to wipe out my gut flora? No, thank you. But then one day I was at work and I had a really bad coughing spell. And it was so bad that my bosses at the yoga magazine said, you need to go to a real doctor. So, of course, I called an acupuncturist. Um, He actually also happened to be an MD, and I sat in his office full of Buddhas, and he looked at um, my blood work, and he shook his head, and he said, something is really wrong with you. And he was right. About a week later, I ended up in a different doctor's office, this one just a plain old MD, and he said, you have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, cancer an especially aggressive kind that was apparently killing me quickly. And I realized I didn't have an herb for that. He wanted me to start chemotherapy, STAT, and it was gonna be um, five different chemicals to make up my chemo cocktail, and then I would have five or more other prescriptions to combat the side effects of those. What? (laughs) I was somebody at that time who I was so concerned with the ingredients of every single thing that went into my body, from my organic kale to my hippie deodorant. There was just no way I could take this stuff, right? But then I quickly remembered um, three people I knew who had treated their cancer naturally. And um, then I quickly realized that only one of them was still alive. And I really wanted to live, but this stuff was way worse than conventional deodorant. It was, had chemicals that could harm my heart and my lungs and make it so that I couldn't have kids. So I needed to decide. 
So, of course, I called my shamanic naturopath. <laughs> and um, I was thinking maybe she would give me a lovely healing regimen of um, mantras and miso soup. Um, but, unfortunately, instead she said, Valerie, take the chemo. It's your medicine. And I said, but it is so incredibly toxic. She said, yeah, but you're going to have to see it as healing. She said, I have one client who actually imagines that her IV bag with the chemo is full of teddy bears and they go inside her veins and hug her, <laughs> which was honestly a shade too cheesy even for me. <laughs> but I played along and I took a breath and I immediately pictured an IV bag that was full of bright green liquid, like a thousand shots of wheatgrass. And I imagined them going through the tube and into my vein and filling my cells with this like glowing, green, healing energy that was the essence of life itself. And so I took that image to all six chemo sessions, along with a stash of rescue remedy and lavender and peppermint essential oils. <laughs> and it worked. And I'm now 17 years cancer-free. And um, I even had a kid when I was 40, but it took a bridge to get me from medical skepticism and into medical treatment. I know that yoga and meditation would not have healed me alone, but I also know that I wouldn't have done as well without them. And I learned a lesson that I would really love for the current yoga and wellness world to really get, which is take the medicine, take the vaccine. <laughs> also, Take the wheatgrass, though, <laughs> if you can get it past your nose. <laughs> Valerie Reese is a writer, editor, and author-to-be. She's a native New Yorker, but now she and her family live right here in Northampton, Massachusetts. You can see Valerie perform that story at nepm.org slash valleyvoices. That's right. We film these events, too, and we've got over 100 stories up there for you to check out. You're listening to Valley Voices Radio from New England Public Media. I'm your host, Vanessa Cirillo. Next up, we travel around the world and back a few decades to when Tulip Chowdhury got a taste of her first cigarette. Yes, when I was a child... I was one curious kid with a nose for troubles. I lived with my grandparents and my uncle in a small village of Bangladesh. When I was around eight, my uncle's smoking habit ignited my curiosity. I watched him light his cigarette, put it to his lips, and blow out curling smoke. It seems he had fire pits inside his mouth. And the smell of the cigarette was so inviting, I started to follow him around. And my grandmother, knowing me only too well, said, Remember Tulip, curiosity kills the cat. I wasn't worried I wasn't a cat anyway. <laughs> I had only one dream, big dream, to smoke at least one cigarette. <laughs> and then... Yes, I had my heavens and chance. One summer morning, my uncle and I were sitting on a bench in the balcony. 
he was reading, smoking away as usual. I was reading my fairy tale. Sometimes later I saw he put his book down on the nearby table, took his cigarette, still half smoked, put it on the strap beside the book, and he stretched out, closed his eyes. And then, much to my delight, I heard him snore. <laughs> I looked back and forth at his eyes and the cigarette. And just then came my angel's voice. Now one never tulip, pick that cigarette up. <laughs> I put my book down over my uncle's body, carefully took the cigarette between my fingers, just like my uncle. Carefully, just like my uncle, put the cigarette in my lips and took a deep puff. Unlike my uncle, I started to cough, to choke, and to cry, as if a volcano was erupting inside my body. And to my horror, the cigarette from my finger fell right on my uncle's chest. He bolted upright, and I waited for that mm, big smack. It didn't come. His icy voice told me, get inside the house and wait. I went inside and with a thundering heart waited. The day went by, there was no sign of my uncle. Oh, I thought he has forgotten. I was wrong. Soon after sunset, my aunt stomped in. Before I could hide, he picked my in his arms, my skinny self and in his bear-like arms. And out we strode, out into the dark. I managed to whimper, where are you taking me? And he barked, into the woods we go. And it seems too quickly we were out in the dark night. And too quickly, too, I felt the branches and the leaves on my body. And he lifted me and placed me on a branch. As I sat there shaking, clinging to that branch, he barked, you stay here all night and think about your smoking. <laughs> and then he was gone. No uncle, not a single sound except the distant howling of the foxes. And the nights were swallowing me up. I tried to scream. Not a single sound came. And suddenly, I heard an owl screech overhead. Villagers say, if an owl screeches like that, you die. I didn't want to die, not then. I started to scream at the top of my lungs until I felt my uncle's hands on me again. And he shook me like a brag doll and said, if I ever catch you with a cigarette, you'll stay here night after night. Thanks to that day, my uncle's timely intervention, I never smoked again. <laughs> but my grandmother's words, curiosity kills the cat, still doesn't bother me. I'm not a cat anyway. Thank you. Tulip Chaudhary is a writer and storyteller living in Western Mass. Okay, your turn. What's the thing, the thing you wanted to try so badly when you were a kid that you'd risk getting in a whole lot of trouble for it? And did you? Did you get away with it? 
tell us when you join our Facebook group, Valley Storytelling Community. We're spilling our secrets there too and sharing tons of info on the local storytelling scene. Check it out and do tell. Our final story today comes from Bonnie House talking about the time she landed in unexpected territory. I was flying a glider to my first and only solo off-field landing. Now, gliders do not have engines, so when I was flying and I got low, I needed to find a place to land now, and I was very low. I saw a landing strip not that far away, and when I got close, I realized that there was a tower at one end, and people were walking their dogs on it. So I opted for the hillside that had a cart trail etched into it, and I was able to land that glider without dinging the wing. Yes. <laughs> and uh, at that point, I would have reached for my cell phone, but they hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> I started walking and came upon a camper, and I knocked on the door of the camper, and this man came outside, and he was dressed in absolutely nothing. <laughs> I backed away around his car, and I said, I'm looking for a, a telephone. Can you help me with this? And he said, well, there's one down at the office that you can use. And I said, thank you. And I started on my way, and I thought, he did not have a tan line. <laughs> you got it. So I went a little farther and uh, came upon a, a family of four and no clothing and no tan lines. <laughs> when I arrived at the office, The receptionist, who was dressed, <laughs> I told her that I landed a plane and I needed to call my crew. And she said, oh, she got on the loudspeaker and she said, attention, everyone, attention. The pilot's here, and she's a woman, and she's all right. <laughs> so when I called the glider port, and told them where I was, they informed me that there were 30 members who were dying to be crew members for me. <laughs> the receptionist asked if I was interested in going swimming. I looked out at the pool, and there were 200 nudists walking around, and I said, no, thank you. Then she said, why not use the jacuzzi, and you'll be all alone, no problem. So I said, yes, that would be nice. And I, um, uh, she gave me a very small towel. <laughs> and after I changed, I tried to walk nonchalantly, covering <laughs> hither and yon <laughs> on my way, and uh, finally got there. And once in the jacuzzi, oh, before that, I noticed on that walk that all the men 
carried newspapers. <laughs> In the jacuzzi, immediately there were a dozen people who joined me. And I was facing a very large, very round behind of a man who had the most beautiful tattoos of bees and butterflies <laughs> circling where the sun doesn't usually shine. <laughs> there was a couple in the jacuzzi who invited me to have a drink with them. And I said, yes, after nearly a three-hour flight, that would be great. So after I got dressed, I went outside, and there was the husband in his all-together with a towel that he very carefully draped over the seat of his motorcycle. And he sat down, and then he said, hop on. <laughs> so I climbed on the motorcycle and proceeded to grab a hold of the seat <laughs> for a short ride up to his camper. Although I've never been back there, when I see tattoos of bees and butterflies, I'm reminded of the kindness of those nudists. Now when faced with now or never, make the best of your landing. <laughs> well, Bonnie's experience with nudists is limited to that one time. She did go on to fly gliders and crew for balloonists in the 80s. So, when an opportunity presents itself, like maybe telling your story on our stage, are you going to keep that towel firmly in place or whip that bad boy off and jump on in? If you're ready to jump in, we'll tell you how to audition for our next season at nepm.org slash valleyvoices. Come on, it's now or never, right? That's all for today. I hope you can meet us back here next week for more stories. But before then, be sure to subscribe to our Valley Voices podcast. Every week, we're posting a mini summer shorts episode. You'll get a single story and a little extra from the storyteller, too. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at nepm.org slash valleyvoices. Valley Voices Radio is a special series just for the summer, and we really want to know what you think of our show. So email valleyvoices at nepm.org or leave us a message on our Facebook page, Valley Storytelling Community. Valley Voices Story Slam is produced by New England Public Media and the Academy of Music Theater. This show is produced by Katie Wright. Our theme is Love Disease by local guitarist Buddy McKearns and his band. Next on New England Public Media, it's Carnegie Hall Live. Stay tuned for concerts recorded live in New York City last year. I'm Vanessa Cirillo. Join me next Saturday to hear stories told live at El Mercado in Holyoke. This is Valley Voices Radio. It's love disease.